This has been an awesome, awesome weekend. And to the committee from Pennsylvania, thank you so much. You, your hospitality has been phenomenal to us. We want to say thank you. And to the staff of CBU, we want to thank you so much. And, and to Brother Jim Jackson, just all the work and the effort. We just, those of us that live on the East, we know, don't we, that this conference has been phenomenal and the release of the Spirit has been wonderful and you've watched Eastern people do things you don't usually see Eastern people do. Yeah. And I live for the day when I see that freedom on Long Island, boy. Amen. And it is coming. Hey, just like that did. Whoa. Yeah, just right out of there. There we go. All right, we don't need it. <laughs> if you'll turn with me to Ephesians, the third chapter, the 10th verse. The purpose is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities and principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. Good morning, ladies. That is your purpose. And God is saying to the church, the whole theme of this conference has been not just tasting and seeing that the Lord is good for your sakes, as wonderful as that is, but as we taste and see how good the Lord is, it is for the purpose of each individual realizing who they are in God, getting the understanding, I can see the invisible, I can do the impossible. Because God wants every individual believer to be the thing that shows the principalities and the powers in the heavenly sphere what God's wisdom was all about. And when we look at it and we look at the way that Paul talks about these rulers, we see him in the 6th chapter, the 12th verse, saying, For we don't wrestle with flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents, but against the powers and against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly and supernatural sphere. So what God is doing with the charge is he's putting us in a place where he is saying, I'm going to expose the fact that my wisdom was the angels in heaven revolted and had no right, those that made the wrong choice, to repent and come back. But God gives man, who was made a little lower than the angels, the ability to repent. The ability to say, God, forgive me. The ability to turn back to God. The ability to then carry his power and his presence and his authority. 
And you see, we all carry something. And so I, I just want four women to just come up here a second. I want to show you something that God gave me just a little while ago. So four of you, come on. Because I hope this will help. Good. Good. Okay. Which one of you is the tallest? You want to come in the back for me? Come in the back. I'm going to slip you over okay. to the side. I'm going to use you in a minute. Right here and right here. Come on. And link arms like this for me, okay? And stay in a line. There we go. Now, you have seen body, soul, and spirit illustrated in three circles that were inside each other. I challenge you that it doesn't really look like that. It looks more like this. You see, we're interconnected. You cannot separate the soul from the spirit from the body. They all affect each other. Have you ever been around somebody and they were under terrible conviction from God and they were running as hard as they could run? It did not take very long before their personality was so affected, you just wanted to run away and hide until they got it right. Because you see, we're so interconnected. And the Bible tells us that how our spirit man is affects how our body is. And that there, if there is spiritual problems here, there's going to be physical body problems. But what we don't realize is I wish there was a way that we could do a cutout somehow. But if you could see a man, a human being, and you could open a hinge. Okay. Everybody carries something. You either carry the living God or you carry the enemy, but you carry something. And so what happens to us is if you ever gone into a store and you didn't know the person and they started hissing at you and they were just flat nasty and you're wondering, what's the matter with me? I know I didn't do anything wrong. What they carried saw what you carried and went to war against you. Because you see, the church doesn't understand that we are here to show the many-sided wisdom of God. But the other camp looks at us and knows what we carry and absolutely hates us. I was, I was in a, a restaurant with the co-author of No Longer a Victim, and we had gone into this restaurant, and it was very crowded, and he and I were sitting there with two other uh, pastors and, and his wife. And so this group of people came in, and they walked by the table. And this woman came back to the table and got in his face and said, I hate you. Do you understand me? I hate you, and walked off. And I looked at him and I said, uh, friend of yours? <laughs> and he said, I don't know that woman. I never saw that woman before in my life. And his wife said to me, it happens to him a lot. <laughs> now, you have to understand, at that time, he was, he was in his middle 70s, and he had been ministering in the area of deliverance for a very long time. And he walked in that, that woman walked in that restaurant, and what she carried recognized what he carried. And just what could not contain itself. 
And so I was teasing him for the rest of the time, listen, you stay in the car, we'll bring you your food. <laughs> but you see, what happens to us is, if you'll come this way for me, and if you'll just reach your hand out, and if you'll touch that lady. When we go and we pray, let's switch it, okay, for somebody, and we lay our hands on them because of who we carry, if we can just envision it, it's not us touching them. It's him touching them. It's not anything inside of us generating that power. It's him generating that power. And so what the principalities and powers see is not you, but they see him. And all of a sudden, there is such jealousy and such anger because what they're watching is a creature made a little lower than the angels, carrying the ruler of the universe. Thank you. If you can get her down. And you see what this is all about stems back to Genesis, the first chapter, the 28th verse. Because you see, God has not changed his purpose for mankind since the very beginning. We have the same purpose that we had in the beginning. And verse 28, God looks at man and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and subdue it using all its vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Our purpose is to be fruitful and multiply. Wasn't that exactly what Jesus constantly, and we're going to be looking at it, constantly was saying to the disciples as he was leaving? He was constantly saying, go into the world and make disciples. Preach the word. He was saying, listen, go out there and multiply yourself. This conference will be a failure. If you do not get something inside of you that when you walk out of these doors, you have left every chain that binds you. Amen. You have left every sickness that troubles your body. You have gotten healing for everything that troubles your mind. And as you walk out of these doors, you have one focus and one focus only. God, who can I multiply myself into? This conference is for the purpose of empowering you. You know, for a long time, we looked at conferences as those things that we went to that filled us up and gave us the power to last till the next conference. But what God is saying to the church is, listen, I don't want you to keep lapping those mountains in your life. I want you to get rid of everything that holds you back so that you walk out of here and you start multiplying yourself. 
He looks at us and he says, I want you to get a different attitude toward your money and the resources that come in your hand. It is for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the betterment of man. The only way we can better man is if they come to know the Savior of this world who can heal them, deliver them, give them wisdom, give them counsel, give them hope, give them vibrancy, give them meaning, and give them purpose. And that's what we're for. Do you understand, sitting in this room, you are the most powerful creature on this earth. Because not only do you carry the spirit of the living God, but what you do, and we're going to look at it in a minute, as he has rested his mantle on your shoulders, he's handed you his keys, he's given you his authority. And I was, I so loved what Dottie was saying. I think it was Dottie when she said, we bore our angels. You know what? I don't, not only do we bore our angels, there was a day when God said, Let me, I just want to show you something. And I saw a cage, and there were like metal bars. And I saw this, the image that I believe God was letting me know this, this image was the Holy Spirit. And he was in this cage, and he was holding onto the bars, and he was screaming, Let me out. Yes. And I said, God, how can the Holy Spirit be trapped anywhere? He said, he's trapped in every believer that won't let him flow. Because you see, God is not going to come in and make you a robot. Ladies, it's a choice. We can flow in the unction of God or we can keep him so silent inside of us that we blend in. Years ago, one of my members came to me and was so excited and said, Pastor, I've reached balance. And that scared me a little. And I said, what do you mean you've reached balance? And they said, I live in an apartment complex and nobody knows I'm a Christian. I fit in. I went, oh no, we've not reached balance. We've reached funeral. And you know what? We don't let him get in there and do the things he wants to do. Ladies, we have to start saying to him, all right, you have given me the authority to multiply. You've given me the keys of the kingdom. You're using me to show your many-sided wisdom. Who is it today that you want to encounter through me? The Christian life is a life that requires great action. Turn with me to Matthew, the fourth chapter, because this was something, this was something that God began to talk to me about in just the strangest way. And he always asks me questions because... It's, it's his way of saying to me, I, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're wrong. <laughs> and so when we get to Matthew, the fourth chapter, there's an exchange. 
and it is the temptation of Jesus. And the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and the splendor and the magnificence and the excellence of them. And he said to him, these things taken all together, I will give you if you will prostrate yourself before me and do homage and worship me. And the Holy Spirit asked me, did Jesus call him a liar? And I said, no. And he said, you see, Satan had the kingdoms of this world. Because when man fell, man handed him the dominion that God gave back, gave to man in the garden. That's why every time Jesus referred to himself and the process of dying is he constantly said the son of man has to die. Because it had to be the son of man that reclaimed what we lost. And God has said to us, listen, I have reclaimed that. And that's what this whole message is about this morning, is the fact that that dominion and that authority was, was reclaimed. And then Jesus, with all of his love and power and anointing, turned around and said, now I'm handing it back to the church. He didn't say, we can't trust man. You screwed it once. That's it. We're taking it. He said, okay, we're going to try this again. Let's get this right this time. Here it is. And we live in such a way on this earth that we are under our circumstances because we listen to the lies and the publicity right. of the devil rather than listen to the truth of the word of God and let it get so deep in our spirit that we say that is a lie, this is the truth. We've got to start believing the Word of God. We've got to start getting it so deep into our spirits that it is part of our DNA so that when something happens to us, what comes out of us is the Word of God, not what our mind tells us. Not what our imagination tells us and not what people tell us. But what does the Word tell us? There are moments in time where I am hit in the face with the fact that the church's voice has become so silent that God is now letting the secular world speak for us and the problem is they don't know what they're saying. Therapeutic community has coined the word genomes now and is telling the whole world you are born with a gene bank for personality. Man really doesn't have a free will. You're not going to be any different than your mother or your father. And here's the thing. God told us that. He told us it was iniquity. But the beautiful thing about it was he told us how to break it. So we didn't live like mommy and daddy. Church, we've got to get on our feet. We've got to get our voice back. 
We've got to get our message so ingrained inside of us that no matter who we brush up against, God can give us a message in a creative way that touches them and changes lives. We live in the best part of this country. Because you know what? I don't know of any other part of the country that praying hide way back in the middle of the 1800s had a vision about. But you know what? He had a vision about us. And when he was in Europe, he said there was going to come a revival that would hit the United States of America that would start at the top of the East Coast, work its way down... And parallel to that, it would start on the West Coast. And there wasn't even a West Coast of the United States at that point. And run all the way down and then move into the middle. Ladies, we are living in that season where I can hear the voice of God say, It's now! It's now! And he's saying to the church, all that's got to happen is you've got to understand you are carrying the many faceted wisdom of God and you are carrying his dominion. In Matthew 28 verse 18 Jesus looked at his disciples and he approached them and breaking the silence he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't separate the next verse from that sentence. The next two words go with that sentence. Go then. He's saying, listen, I got all the authority back. I've got all the authority of heaven. I got all the authority of earth. And because of that, go then and make disciples. And he took us right back to the Garden of Eden. He took us right back to the whole purpose that God made man for in the first place. And I want you to look at Luke 10, 19. This is a powerful exchange between Jesus and his disciples. Let's go back and pick up verse 17 just because it's such a pretty verse. And the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan falling like lightning and flashing from heaven. And behold, I give you all authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and the physical and mental strength and ability over all power that the enemy possesses. And nothing shall in any ways harm you. It is this exchange that you find that verse where it says, and Jesus rejoiced over them. And the Greek in that, word, in that verse means that Jesus danced and spun around wildly. What caused him to be so happy? He's looking at him, and this is what I can hear coming out of his spirit. They got it. They got it. 
And every time a human being in the body of Jesus Christ gets it and understands who we are in God, understands who God is in us, understands what our purpose is, I can see Jesus standing in front of the Father saying, they got it! Church, that's what we're here for. But then he says to them, listen, I give you all authority over all power of the enemy. He uses two words. They're both translated power. The first is, he said, I give you all exousias. And that means judicial authority. And the next one is the word dunamis, which means supernatural power. And this is what he said. I give you the ability when you see Satan doing anything to just calmly say, stop that. Because you have got judicial authority. Listen, you know what? We don't have to be loud. We don't have to shout. We don't have to scream. It's not necessary. Neither the devil nor Jesus is deaf. And what the thing of it is, is there has to be raising up from your innermost being an understanding of your authority. So that when you see something happen, you just calmly say, stop that. Now when God broke that in my spirit, I started feeding that to our church. And just like what's going on now, our kids got it quicker than our adults did. And you can question Denise about this afterwards because you see it was her daughter. And her daughter is a tiny little thing. I mean, this little girl is tiny. And she's an adult now, but she's, she's short. She's tiny. And she was, you know, she wasn't as big as my little finger. <laughs> And she goes into ninth grade. She's in there with all these high school students. And she happens to go into a high school where there's a lot of covens. And you know, from the other parts of the country, people don't understand that. But covens up here operate very powerfully in our high schools and our middle schools. And so she was sitting at the table. And she had just gone to that school. She was a new student. And there was a girl at the end of the table, was an upperclassman, a junior, a senior. And she was reading tarot cards. And it made Rachel angry. And Rachel very quietly just looked down in her lunch tray and said, I use the exousius authority of God, and I say that stops, and you can't get any more readings here. Now, the girl at the other end of the table did not hear her. And all of a sudden, the girl at the other end of the table went, something's jamming my signals. I can't hear anything, and it's her fault. And these upperclassmen were angry. And so the girl said, I'm just going to go out in the hall. Come on, we'll go out there. So she took her tarot cards and she took the girls out in the hall. Now, Rachel is a feisty little thing. <laughs> and you know what? When you meet her parents, you understand. It doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and so she got mad. She looked down at her tray and she said, Now, Satan, in the exousious authority of God, that can't go on in this school as long as I'm in it. Pretty soon the girls came in from the hall. 
And they were mad at her. And they were telling her, she can't hear anything, and she said, it's your fault. And they were really mad. Rachel just smiled at him and said, you know what, I'd be asking me what it is I got that's better than what she's got. She's not loud. She's not rowdy. And she went on to pioneer a Bible club in that school. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That understanding of, wait a minute, this is who I am in God. And the reason he could look at them in Luke 10, 19, and he could hand them that authority before he died was because the book of Revelation tells us, oh, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. You see, Isaiah got that revelation. And in Isaiah 53, he wrote everything in the past tense. Because it was already done. Church, that's what we need. We need the prophetic realization of who we are in God. And as we begin to taste the nature of God, the life of God, we begin to realize how wonderful he is. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 16. Verse 19. This is the result of a confession of Peter. And he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth must already be loosed in heaven. And he said, I give you the keys. And the word keys there means power and authority. And the word bind there means to forbid or prohibit. So now what is already prohibited in heaven? Think about all the things that don't exist in heaven but exist on this earth. Those things are already forbidden in heaven. Start forbidding them on earth. Think about everything that's loosed in heaven. Start loosing those things on this earth. You see, we are the most powerful weapon the United States of America has. You want change in this earth? You want change in this nation? Then do it on your knees. Start praying for this nation expecting a change. Start praying for this nation. Start taking authority. Do you know when you begin to research the history of this nation, do you know that there was a point in our history where we had presidents that were pastors, presidents that were evangelists, they were on the evangelistic field Monday through Friday, I mean Saturday and Sunday, and in the White House Monday through Friday. Now if somebody's truly a born-again Christian, they can't get elected. There's something seriously wrong with that change. 
And in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus said what purpose he came here for. And he said he came here to destroy the works of the enemy. He wanted to destroy everything Satan had done to humanity. And therefore, as a result, had done to creation. And he's saying to you, don't you understand? As the Father sent me, I send you. I send you out there to destroy those works in the power of the Spirit. Ladies, God wants you to see and taste and know how wonderful God is. He wants this to have been a parenthesis in your life, a time where you came away, a time where you got a revelation for the purpose of going from this place and shaking society for the kingdom of God. And this takes us back to the verse I talked to you just briefly about yesterday, and that's Matthew eleven twelve. And this is a verse that God is just breaking so in my spirit and, and just exciting me so much about. Matthew eleven twelve, And from the days of John the Baptist until present time. The kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. I talked to you yesterday about the Jewish mind saw the earth as the third heaven. And suffereth violence means to press with force. Betsy, I can do you because I know you. So. <laughs> the Greek is a very interesting word picture here. And what he's saying in the Greek is that the world, this earth, was being pushed by violent men with force. <laughs> and you could see Jesus' face. You can just, I can see his eyes. He's watching this whole invisible pageantry. And he's watching the forces of hell being pushed and the men struggling to push it. And I can see his eyes dancing with fire. I can see the smile on his face as he's watching this pageantry. And he's saying, from John the Baptist until now, what was the difference? John the Baptist started preaching what message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. It is. And don't go away. <laughs> and Jesus was looking at these men. Would you have described these disciples as violent men? Maybe some of them men with temper because he called them the sons of thunder. 
but violent, brave men. But you see, when Jesus looked at them, and he saw them being sent out two by two into the cities to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. He said, you don't understand. Every time you preach the gospel, every time you lay hands on yes. somebody to, to bring the healing of God, every time you cast out a demon, you are pushing mm -hmm. with force mm -hmm. the kingdom of hell and its suffering violence. And the most powerful thing about it is you become a violent person. You become a person with great force. And then he goes on and he says, and the violent take it by force. And this is what it means. To deprive of authority. And this is what he said. Every time you go out there and you lay hands on the sick. You are literally saying to the devil, take your hands off. You can't have that. Yes. Every time you pull somebody out of hell by the preaching of the gospel, you're saying to Satan, take your hands off them. You don't have the right to them. Every time you minister freedom to somebody, you're saying to the devil, take your hands off. You can't have them. But the next word is a great word. Not only do you deprive it of authority, you see, what happens is you bind something, and if you don't lose the opposite, what do you have? A vacuum. So not only does it mean to deprive of authority, but it says to claim eagerly for yourself. So when something has been deprived, then you wrap your arms yes. around it and you say, I'm claiming you eagerly. Yes. Come with me. I'm going to make you look like me. <laughs> now, the problem is, what do you look like? Mm. Have you seen the invisible? Have you tasted and seen that he is good? Do you look like him? Are you full of the power and the anointing of God? Because let me tell you something. When you claim them and you mark them, you are going to make them look like you. And what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? He said, you travel the world over to make another disciple look like you. And that wasn't a compliment. But he was looking at the disciples and he was saying, come on. There may be 12 of you today, but there's supposed to be 24 of you tomorrow. And the day after that, there's supposed to be 48 of you. You see, we are in a purpose of taking the world. That's what G the plan was in the first place, was that the, the Adam and Eve would multiply and claim the rest of the earth. And he said to the church, we're going to start over, and we're going to start over with the church. And why can we do it? Turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Eighth verse. Fourth chapter of Ephesians, eighth verse, is the why. 
And therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Now again, this is one of those phrases that if you don't look at the Greek word picture, you miss what he's talking about. And you know what? She's been such a great chairman, hasn't yes. she? Yes. And nobody's harassed her or bothered her. <laughs> this is what that means. In the Greek, it's a word picture. And it shows someone who has been a captor, someone who has taken people captive. Someone now comes into their environment, puts a chokehold around their neck, and puts a sword at their throat. And it said Jesus led captivity captive. The next time Satan tries to convince you he's going to get you, I want you to remind him, oh, I'm sorry. There's this sword at your throat and a chokehold around your neck. So I'm afraid you're really not going to be able to do a lot in that position. And that's why you can do what you can do. It's because in his death, in his resurrection, he said to the devil, that's it. Now, Paul wanted this message infused in the church. He wanted them to so understand this picture that he wrote Colossians, the second chapter, verse 15. I need 10 of you right now. I need you to take your shoes off. <laughs> Second chapter, Colossians, 15th verse. Now understand that Paul is writing this to a Roman church. And please understand that the language of the Bible is not so much Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew, but is indeed pictures. And when they wrote, they chose words that would paint a picture. And the problem is, it's lost on us because English isn't a picture language. You know, we're so confused, we say the word red. We don't know if it's a color or somebody read a book. But they wrote in pictures. And so this verse is written totally around the concept of the way Rome made nations surrender. And so the verse in English reads this way. And God disarmed the principalities and the powers that were arrayed against us. Against who? and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in the cross. Powerful words, right? Yeah. But it's a more powerful picture. 
when Rome conquered a nation, form a line, they got the army of the defeated nation, and they brought them into the Colosseum. Well, we won't do that. They brought them into a Colosseum, and the Colosseum was full of Roman citizens. And they brought them in in full regalia, but no shoes. And they were tied together and their, with their hands in front of them. And then one rope was tied to the next rope. And the conquering general took the rope and walked into the Colosseum with them in rank from the highest to the lowest. And he walked around the entire Colosseum strutting in full garment with these people behind him. Now the stands, oh, the people in the stands, as they paraded around and around the Colosseum, the people in the stands stood to their feet. And they went, boo, hiss, losers, every slander they could think of in their language. And this conquered army had to do this parade for as long as the conquering general wanted to walk. So what Paul said was, oh, in the heavenlies, Jesus lined them up from Satan all the way down to the lowest of his power. He chained them up. And he paraded them around a coliseum in the heavenlies. And the angels in heaven watched as those that revolted were brought under the authority of God. And then after this general had just made himself so pleased, he then stopped the parade and he lined them up in a parallel line facing each other. So line up this way, five on this side, five on that side. Did we get all ten of you? I didn't even bother to stop and count. Okay. Now, you see, because I can only do this to somebody that is with me, Denise right there. When the parade was over, remember now, they have been in their uniforms. So when the parade, Denise, face me right here at the end of this line, would you? Yeah, here, just right here. Come in, it doesn't matter to me, right here. When the parade was over, the Roman general then lied, lined them up from the lowest in rank to the highest and walked down this line and ripped the insignias off their uniforms so they had no symbol of authority. And then he got to the conquering general. And instead of ripping the insignias off his uniform, he took the uniform from the front and ripped it straight down so that there was total disgrace 
to the general of that army. Now, what does the Bible tell you? It says that Jesus ascended to the Father with the keys of hell and death. When he finished stripping them of any delegated authority, you see, they only had delegated authority, and he stripped their delegated authority, and he got to Satan himself, and he said, now give me the keys of hell and death. And this scene is why you can leave this building knowing what you can do in the heavenlies. Thank you, ladies. Now, let's go back. So those verses in Matthew based on Peter's confession where Jesus said on this rock, I'll build my church. He made him a promise. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And this is what he said. He said, those gates will never be able to lock again. Satan cannot stop you from going into hell and taking out what you want. And there's a truth, and this is the truth. When a house has been shaken off its foundation, oh, hear me, no matter what you do, you can never rehang the doors in that house again to lock. When Jesus descended into hell and ascended to the Father, he shook the kingdom of hell off its foundation. And the gates of hell can never lock again. Now, ladies, I don't know where you are today. But if you are sitting here and you did not answer any altar call before this morning and you are walking out of here with problems, with hurts, with griefs, with anything that keeps you from being who you are in God, I am begging you, don't walk out of here with those things. Make those things your enemy. And let the living God change you into a woman of violence and force. And this is what we're going to do as the, as the worship team comes. I just want you to stand to your feet. And if there is anybody that sat through these altar calls and you didn't get serious with God, you let, you're taking things out of here that will hinder you from shaking the powers of hell. The altar workers are coming. The ministry teams are coming. We're going to be really grateful for an opportunity to pray for you that you can be everything that God wants you to be. So if there's something you need, you come. We're going to pray for you.